Well, welcome, friends. Welcome now back to the Library of Sound and the Sherlock Holmes editions of the Library of Sound. Today we got a goodie. Carlton Hobbs is back as Sherlock Holmes along with Norman Shelley as Dr. Watson. Today, from February 23rd, 1960, we hear the stockbroker's clerk, an interesting story from the canon of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, uh, I started reading detective stories back when I first got interested in them when I took a course in college on detective fiction. And Sherlock Holmes was one of the first stories we all read. And I not only liked it because it was a short story, but... It had some humor, and it was a good mystery. And that's what started my, my long history in reading mystery stories. Started off with Sherlock Holmes books. I read every single book, too. Uh, I believe there were 52 of them. And then I, I started reading all the Philip Marlowe books. Now, there weren't as many of those because uh, Raymond Chandler, he didn't write many Philip Marlowe stories. But I read them all that he did write, and then I read some Philip Marlowe stories that he didn't write. Yeah, other authors, you know, they all contributed to the Philip Marlowe storylines. Read those, uh, read the Nero Wolf stories, read every single Nero Wolf book, and they were all one more enjoyable after another. Well, friends, I've read a lot of, uh, a lot of great detective stories in my time, but this is where I started with Sherlock Holmes. I believe this is from the first book, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I didn't check on that, but I think so. Anyway, story is called The Stockbroker's Clerk. February 23rd, 1960. Let's listen to this BBC production here on the Library of Sound. I am your humble host. Let's listen. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and I was privileged to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I can see it still. Our rooms in Baker Street and Sherlock Holmes, and in such detail you will be there yourself. If I may collect my thoughts for just a moment. Capital, my dear Watson. Let us return to our humble abode. Um, 221B uh, Baker Street, please, Gary. The BBC presents The Stockbroker's Clerk, a Sherlock Holmes story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatised for radio by Michael Hardwick. The Stockbroker's Clerk. My dear Watson, ah. I'm delighted to see you again. Come in, Holmes. <laughs> My wife will be down directly. I hope I find you both well. Never better. Yeah, take the rocking chair. Thank you. Ah. And I hope the cares of your new practice haven't entirely obliterated the interest you used to take in my little deductive problems. <laughs> Far from it. Why, only last night I was looking over my own notes. I was... Uh, Classifying some of our past results, you know. Excellent. But I trust you don't consider your collection closed. No, not at all. There's nothing I'd like better than to have some more experiences to add to it. Today, for example? Well, uh, 
<laughs> yes, of course. As far off, say, as Birmingham? Oh, certainly, certainly. You're quite sure you're fit enough to travel? Fit? I, I told you, I, I've never felt better. But you've not been too well lately, I see. Now, how on earth... Oh, well, I, I did have rather a bad chill for a few days last week. <laughs> Thought I got rid of every trace of it, though. So you have. You look remarkably robust. Then what... Come, come. You know my methods. A little simple deduction. Oh, really, Holmes? What is it this time? Your slippers, of course. Slippers? They're quite obviously new. Not more than a few weeks old, in fact. I noticed the soles when you were sitting opposite me there. The soles? They're scorched. For a moment, I thought you must have got them wet and dried them a little too vigorously. Mm. But near the instep, there's a little wafer of paper with the shopman's hieroglyphics on it. Damp would have had that off. Mm. Obviously, you've been sitting with your feet stretched out to the fire. And a man would hardly sit so long in front of a fire in June if he were in his full health. <laughs> right as usual. Oh, I'm sometimes afraid I give too much of my methods away when I explain things. Results without causes are much more impressive. But come along, my dear fellow. Uh, Our client, Mr. Hall Pycroft, is waiting in the cab and we have to catch a train for Birmingham. Well now, Mr. Pycroft, we have a clear run of 70 minutes ahead of us. Uh, yes, sir. I'd like you to tell Dr. Watson all the details of your very interesting experience, exactly as you gave it me. It'll be a pleasure. In even greater detail, if possible. It'll be useful to me to hear it all again. You'll appreciate this case, Watson. Oh, very good, then. Let's hear about it, Mr. Pycroft. Well, it goes like this, sir. I'm a stockbroker's clerk. Mm -hmm. I used to have a billet with Coxon and Woodhouse of Draper's Gardens, but they came a nasty cropper, and we clerks were turned adrift, all 27 of us. Oh, no, no. Mind you, old Coxon did what he could. He gave me a ripping good testimonial, but I couldn't get another place anywhere. Ah. Well, I'd been getting three pounds a week at Coxon's, and I'd saved about 70 of them. Yes, oh, that didn't go very far, though. Well, then, suddenly, I saw a vacancy at Mawson and Williams in Lombard Street. Ah, good firm. Yes, one of the best. Well, you had to apply by letter only, so I sent mine in, and that was that, I thought. Mm -hmm. But back came an answer by return said if I'd turn up on Monday and I looked all right to them, the billet was mine. The unpredictable methods of the city. <laughs> I've often heard the manager just plunges his hand into the heap and takes the first that comes. <laughs> Still, Mawson's are a top firm, as Dr. Watson says, so I suppose my reference must have done the trick. Yes. Anyway, all that mattered was that my innings seemed to have come at last. The screw was a pound a week more than at Coxon's, too. But here's where the queer part of the business begins. I was back in my digs at Hampstead that night, having a bit of a smoke, when my landlady came in. Mr. Pycroft, yes. there's a gent out here to see you. Oh, anyone I know, Mrs. Fox? Oh, I can't say. Here's his card. Arthur Pinner, financial agent. Mm. Well, I don't know what it's about, but you'd you better ask him to step in, please. Right. Uh, will you come this way, sir? Thank you. Ah, Mr. Hall Pycroft, I believe. Uh, yes. Oh, will you uh, will you take a chair? Ah, thanks. Mr. Mr. Pycroft of Mason and Williams, I think. Uh, Mawson and Williams. Yes, that's right. Uh, oh, well, rather, I haven't started yet. I only got their letter today, taking me on. You know. You haven't been to the office yet. No, haven't set eyes on them. I don't start till Monday. You were formerly with Coxon and Woodhouses. Yes. Uh, do, do you mind if I ask what... Well, Mr. Pycroft, the fact is I've heard some really extraordinary stories about your financial ability. About me? Uh, talking to Parker. You know, used to be Coxon's manager. 
can't say enough for you. Well, that's very nice of him, very nice indeed. He's a good fellow, Parker. Yes, first rate. Now, look here, Mr. Pycroft. Have you kept in touch with the market while you've been out of work? Every day. I read the stock exchange list every morning. Ah, that's the way to get on, my boy. Now, let me see. How are New Zealand consolidated? A hundred and four. Airshares? hundred and five to hundred and five and a quarter. And British Broken Hills? Seven to seven and six. Wonderful. It quite fits in with all I'd heard. My dear boy, you're much too good to be a clerk at Mawson's. No, sir. By Monday, you'll be business manager of the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited. What? With 134 branches in the towns and villages of France, and not counting one in Brussels and one in San Remo. I'm afraid I've never heard of it. Ah, very likely not. It's been kept very quiet. Too good to let the public into, you understand. I see. My brother, Harry Pinner, is promoter. All the capital's been privately subscribed. Yes, I see. Harry's managing director. He asked me if I could pick up the right man for business manager. Parker spoke of you, and that's what brought me here tonight. But, uh, Mr... Uh, mind you, I'll be honest. Harry asked me to get a man cheap. I can't pay more than 500 to 500? start. 500? Yes, I'm afraid that's all. But there's an overriding commission of 1% on all business done by your agents. <laughs> Take my word for it. That'll come to more than your salary. Yes, indeed. A great but, deal uh, Mr. More. Pinner, I don't know anything about hardware. No, but you do know about figures. Yes, that's true. Well, <laughs> no, look here, Mr. Pinner. I can't deny that your offer is a very good one. It's a splendid one, but I've been out of work long enough. And, well, Mawson's may only be offering 200, but they are well known. They're safe. Well... I'll tell you what I'll do, then. You take this note. It's for a hundred pounds. Now, if you think we can do business, you just slip that into your pocket as an advance on your salary. Now, what do you say? I'll say this, Mr. Pinner. When do you want me to start? Splendid. <laughs> now, my company's offices are temporarily situated in Birmingham. If you could go up there tomorrow, perhaps... Certainly. Well, should we say uh, one o'clock, then? Yes, indeed. Now take this note to 126B Corporation Street, and you'll find my brother there. Yes. Of course, uh, he'll have to confirm your engagement. Oh, yes, of course. But between you and me, it'll be all right. Well, I, I hardly know how to thank you, Mr. Pinner. Not at all, my boy. You've only got what you deserve at last. Oh, uh, before I go, there are one or two small details, though. Oh, Formalities, yes. you know. Yes. Have you a pen and paper handy? Yes, over here. Splendid. Now, uh, if you could just jot these few lines down, covering the firm, you know. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, please write down, I agree to act as business manager to the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited. Hardware Company. At a minimum salary of £500. Uh, put that in figures. Yes, £500. Right. Is that all? Well, that's all. Now, if I may have that. Oh, yes, of course. Here you are. I think it's dry. Good. Oh, now, there's just one more little thing. What do you intend to do about Mawson's? Oh, well, I'd better write and resign. Now, that's precisely what I don't want you to do. No? Now, you see, my boy, I had a row over you with Mawson's manager. I took the liberty of going to him to ask about you, see if he'd be willing to let you off, don't you know? I see. He was, uh, well, he was pretty offensive. Accuse me of coaxing you away from him, that sort of thing. Fred, I rather lost my temper with the fellow. Told him if he wanted good men, he should offer them a good price. Do you know what he said? No. He said, we picked him out of the gutter. So he won't be keen to leave us so quickly. 
picked him out of the gutter, he said. Did he, by Jove? Just what does he think I am? Now, you judge for yourself. Well, I had the last word, though. I said, if the fellow's what I think he is, once he's heard my offer, you'll never hear from him again. Good for you. Well, I thought in view of that, you'd back me up and show him I was Say right. Say no more, Mr. Pinner. I owe Mawson's nothing. They can go hang. I won't send them a word. Good. I knew you had spirit. My brother will be delighted to have you, I know. Tomorrow, then, at 126B Corporation Street, Birmingham. Have I missed anything out, Mr. Holmes? Your memory goes further than figures, Mr. Pycroft. Uh, well, Watson, what do you think of that? Extraordinary good fortune, I'd say. What sort of a fellow was this pinner? Well, uh, middle-sized, black beard, bit of a hook to his nose, you mm. know, brisk sort of way with him. Yes, I can see him. But now, Mr. Pycroft, tell Watson what happened the next day when you got to Birmingham to keep your appointment. Yes. Well, 126B Corporation Street turned out to be a passage between two big shops. It led to a flight of stairs with the names of a lot of companies painted on the wall at the bottom. Okay. I read them all, but there wasn't a Franco Midland Hardware Company among them. But while I was standing there wondering what to do next, a man came up and introduced himself as Harry Pinner. We haven't got a name up yet, Mr. Pycroft, as you see. They're only temporary premises. We only got them last week. Oh. Yes, I have to apologise to you for the empty rooms, I'm afraid. Don't be disheartened, though, Mr. Pycroft. Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, no, no, of course. One table, a ledger, and a waste paper basket. Empty for the moment. Well, it's enough to be going on with. At any rate, we've got two chairs. <laughs> yes, that's something. I suggest we put them to some use, eh? Yes, of course. Oh, by the way, I have a note for you from your brother, Mr. Pinner. Ah, yes, well, we'll see that first, then. Yes, you've certainly made your impression on Arthur. He's a shrewd judge. Mr. Pycroft, you may consider yourself definitely engaged. Thank you very much, Mr. Pinner. And, uh, now, can I ask what my duties are to be? Of course, your duties. Mr. Pycroft, you will eventually manage Franco Midland's Great Depot in Paris. Oh, really? Yes, you'll be handling there a flood of English crockery which you'll distribute to the shops of 134 agents throughout France. The purchase will be completed in a week. Meanwhile, I'd like you to remain in Birmingham and make yourself useful. Certainly, how? Well, here's a directory of Paris with the trades after the names of the people. I see. I want you to take it to wherever you're staying. Uh, where is that, by the oh, way? Oh, well, I'll find a hotel quite near here, I'm sure. Oh, yes, plenty, plenty. Very reasonable, too. Well, I want you to take this directory back there. There's no need to work in this discomfort. Take it back and mark off all the hardware sellers with their addresses. But surely there are classified lists already, aren't there, Mr. No, nothing reliable. Their system is quite different from ours. Oh, I see. Stick at it, Mr. Pycroft, and let me have the results by Monday at 12. Hardly managerial work, I admit, but we're all pitching in at whatever needs doing for the time being. And then I found a cheap hotel and settled down to do as he'd asked, Mr. Holmes. With pretty mixed feelings, I don't know. Well, yes, indeed. On the one hand, I was definitely engaged, and I had a hundred pounds in my pocket. But on the other hand... 
Well, the look of those offices. I must say, I thought they'd have fixed themselves up with something a bit better. Well, anyway, I settled down to the job he'd given me. I soon found it wasn't going to be done by Monday, either. By the time I went to see Mr. Pinner again, I'd only got to the letter H. Oh, dear. He told me to go away, keep at it until Wednesday, and then come and see him again. Well, I did, but the job still wasn't finished even then. Mr. Pinner told me not to worry, but to push on with it still and see him again on Friday. So I did. finished, sir. It took me till this morning, though. I'd never have believed there were half as many hardware dealers in Paris. <laughs> well, there you get some idea at last of the size of trade you're going to be handling soon. Yes, I do. Well, uh, I'd hoped by now to be able to tell you that the purchase deal was done. I wanted you to be in Paris by the middle of next week. But uh, I hear from my brother, Arthur, that there are still one or two little delays over the final signing. Oh, dear. Well, it's too bad, but there we are. Still, there's uh, plenty of good work to be done here in the meantime. Now, these lists you've got out are going to save a lot of trouble later on. So I think the best thing is to ask you if you wouldn't mind keeping at them until everything's clear at the other end. But I've finished them. Now, 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 my boy, you just think for a moment. Doesn't anyone else sell crockery besides hardware firms? Well, I, I suppose... Yes, the furniture people do over here, so I expect it's the same in France. Ah, uh -huh. that's just the brand of acumen for getting to the top. Thank you, sir. So, what I want you to do now is to take away that invaluable director again and start marking up the furniture firms. Yes, very good, Mr. Pinner. Now, don't be downhearted, my boy. I'll tell you what. I may hear some news from London by tomorrow morning. I'll be out and about all day, but if you pop up here at, uh, shall we say, 7 tomorrow evening, yes, sir. I may be ready to put you out of this suspense. Well, that's very good of you, sir. Right, then. And don't forget, tomorrow is Saturday. Saturday? Well, all work and no play, you know. Oh, after you've seen me in the evening, why not cut along for a couple of hours at Day's Music Hall? As I might say. Well, it's just the place for a young blood like you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Never know what you'll find. <laughs> There's attractions outside Paris if you keep your eyes open. <laughs> what an extraordinary way to run a business. Eh, Holmes? Remarkable. Tell me, Mr. Pycroft, on your visits to the offices, have you ever seen signs of any other business being done there? That's another funny thing. Every time, the place has been just the same. The waste paper basket? Still empty every time. It seems to me he only goes there to meet me. Watson, for once, we have an observant client. Yes, very. But Mr. Pycroft's powers of observation rise to even greater levels. Let's hear again, sir, what else you noticed at your last interview. Oh, yes. Well, when he added that bit about the music hall, you know, he kept laughing, and I couldn't help noticing that his second tooth on the left-hand side was a gold one. Uh, I don't quite follow. Well, the point is, Dr. Watson, when his brother, Arthur Pinner, had come to my room in London, mm. I'd noticed exactly the same thing about him. There, Watson! Mr. Pycroft is a man after my own heart. He doesn't just look, Watson. He sees. Quite extraordinary. Still, I don't quite see, Holmes. Wait a moment. Let Mr. Pycroft tell us what else he has noticed about the brother's pinner. Well, I told you what Arthur Pinner looked like. Middle-sized, black beard, hook nose, and so on. Yes, yes. Well, apart from the beard, and maybe the hair being a bit shorter, Harry Pinner might have been his twin. Perhaps he is. They're, they're brothers. Well, that's what I thought, but you see, it was the tooth. Identical twins, each with the same front tooth stuffed with gold, Watson. Not impossible. Highly improbable, all the same. Was there anything else? Uh, their, their voices? So far as I can remember, Arthur Pinner's voice 
They're almost exactly the same. The sort of voices you'd remember again. Well then, Mr. Pycroft, what was your conclusion? Well, sir, I know it may sound silly, but I thought back in my hotel that night, these two brothers are one and the same man. The same? Yes. But, but why? I puzzled out all the whys for myself till late that night, Dr. Watson. Why should a man approach me in London, engage me in his firm, give me a hundred pounds advance, send me to Birmingham, and then dash up there himself, shave off his beard, cut his hair, and go through all this, this pantomime with lists and directories in empty offices. Why, indeed. Pretty rum to me. Exactly. And that is why, Watson, you received your visit from me this morning, and why we're all three sitting in this train. Mm -hmm. Which, I observe, is nearing the end of its journey. It is indeed, sir. Oh, if my watch is not misleading me, we shall be in ample time to conduct a joint interview with Mr. Harry Pinner, or is it Arthur, at seven o'clock this evening. It is, Mr. Holmes. That's the passage of 126B. Hmm. Unimpressive. Well, I make it only one minute to seven, so I suggest we go straight up. But, Holmes, how are we to do this? I, I mean, who are we? Uh, you and I, uh, if you see what I mean. You, Watson, are Mr. Price of this town. You're a clerk. Oh, yes. I am Mr. Harris of Bermondsey. Since my head for figures is notably sounder than yours, I shall be an accountant. But, sir, how shall I explain you to Pinner? We're both friends of yours. Oh, yes, but I... A chance meeting this afternoon near the town hall. We're both in need of a place, so the business manager-elect of the Franco Midland Hardware Company is just the man to try a word on our behalf with his employer. I see. Jolly good. Right then, sir. Shall I lead the way? If you please. Come in. Good evening, Mr. Pinner. What? Is something the matter, sir? I, I... I'm not feeling too good, Mr. Pycroft. Not so good at all. Who are these gentlemen? Well, this is Mr. Harris of Bermondsey, and this is Mr... Uh, Mr. Price. Uh, Mr. Price of this town, sir. They're friends of mine. How do you do? We, we happened to meet this afternoon. They're both gentlemen of experience in business, sir, but they've been out of a place for some time, and I ventured to bring them for a word with you, sir, if you'd be so kind. It's quite right, quite right. Yes, we... May well be able to do something for you, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Uh, what is your particular line, Mr. Harris? I'm an accountant, sir. And yours, Mr. Uh, uh, Price, sir. I, I'm a clerk. Oh, yes. Well, gentlemen, I have every hope that our company may be able to accommodate you. Oh, uh, very good of you. I'll, I'll let you know in due course. And now I beg you to go. For heaven's sake, leave me to myself. Mr. Pinner, isn't there anything I can do for you? No. No, boy, I... I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'm not well at all. I... I must just go into the other room a few minutes. I'll be all right soon. All right soon. What is this, Holmes? Is he giving us the slip? No, no, Dr. Watson, he can't be. That door leads into an empty room. There's no exit from it. There's something I don't understand in all this. That man's three parts mad with fright. He suspects something's up. No, there was something wrong with him even when we opened the door and walked Those in. Those papers on the desk, perhaps there's something in them. Now, let's see. Oh, it's a newspaper. Oh. Yeah, this evening's. Oh. Great heavens, Watson, look at these headlines. I was only halfway advanced with my theory about this case, but if I'm not mistaken, this completes it for let's, me. Let's see. Wait, what was that? 
seems to be throwing the furniture about. The furniture? There's only one chair. We'd better see. Quickly. Oh, it's oh, here, here, let me, sir. Strung himself up. Quickly, Pycroft. Under him and take his weight. Right, sir. That chair, Watson. Right? Yes, I've got him. Sir Pycroft. All right, sir. At least he's he's still breathing. All right. Right. Lower away. All right, sir. Right, sir. He's all right now, Mr. Holmes. Well, Watson. Cut his tie. That was a near thing. What do you think of him? Yes. Yes, he'll survive. You better open the window, Pycroft, please. Yes, of course. Right, sir. Find some water if you can. All right. No, Holmes. Hmm. The near thing, right? But he'll live. Had I better go for the police, sir? I, all I... in good time, my dear fellow. It would be nicer, wouldn't it, to let him tell us all we need to know before the notebooks get here. There's so little left to find out. So, so little left to find out? Well, I don't know about you, Dr. Watson, but I couldn't be further in the dark. Yes, yeah, same here. Well, it's all quite simple, really. After hearing Mr. Pycroft's admirably detailed story... It seemed to me that the events could only point to one conclusion. I deduced this from two main points. What were they, then, sir? The first was Arthur Pinner making you write a declaration about entering the service of this preposterous company. Do you catch the significance of that now? I'm blessed if I can. Well, ask yourself why your written declaration was wanted. Not as a business matter. No, what was wanted was a specimen of your handwriting. There was no other way of persuading you to give one. Yes, but what on earth for? Now, let us leave that point for the moment, except to add the obvious conclusion that someone wanted to imitate your style of writing. So now we come to the second point. This should throw some light on the first point and vice versa. I hope to heaven it does. The second point, my poor Watson, is Pinner's request to Mr. Pycroft not to resign his place at Mawson and Williams. That did strike me as fishy. But perhaps it also struck you then that if Mr. Pycroft didn't send in any resignation, the manager at Mawson's would be still expecting him to turn up to start work on the Monday morning. You mean, Holmes, that someone was going to turn up in Mr. Pycroft's place at Mawson's pretending to be him? <laughs> Capital, my dear Watson. <laughs> A glimmering at last. Yes, of course, an imposter was to be planted into Mawson's under the guise of Pycroft here. Just in case anyone should notice a discrepancy between his handwriting and that in which Pycroft had applied for the vacancy... Steps were taken to equip this pretender with a copy of Pycroft's script to study. Ah, yes. Scarcely necessary, you may think. But it's that same attention to detail in good detection that is the hallmark also of the really proficient criminal. But I don't understand, Mr. Holmes. Why should Pinner pretend to be his own brother? Yes, I can't see that either. Well, I'd have thought it was pretty clear by now. There are evidently two of them in this little plot. One is pretending to be Mr. Pycroft, working every day at Mawson's in London... The other acted as Pycroft's engager, persuading him to come and work in Birmingham. There had to be someone in Birmingham to receive him and act as his employer in order to keep him here for as long as was needed. The conspirators wisely didn't want to let any third person into their plans, so Pinner had to do the job himself. And it might have worked, but for that gold tooth and Mr. Pycroft's admirable powers of observation... Well, I'm blowed. Mr. Holmes, you've told me how it's been done. Can you tell me why? This paper Pinner was reading when we came in. That'll tell you. Yes, it's one of today's London evening papers. Your answer's on the front page, Mr. Pycroft. What? Great heavens above. Oh, come on, read it out, oh, man. I'm sorry. Crime in the city. A desperate attempt at robbery...
culminating in the death of one man and the capture of the criminal occurred today in the city. It appears that last week a new clerk who had given his name as Hall Pycroft was engaged by the famous financial house of Mawson and Williams. This person appears to have been none other than Beddington, the famous cracksman and forger, who, with his brother, only recently emerged from a five-year spell of penal servitude. So that's what it's all been about. It's becoming pretty clear, isn't it? Yes, indeed. But pray let's have the rest of the report. Oh, uh, just a minute. It says, turn to page six, column one. I haven't got page six here, I think. Uh, here it is. I got it. It is customary at Mawson's for the clerks to leave at midday on Saturday. Sergeant Tewson of the city police was surprised today to see a man with a carpet bag come down the steps at 20 past one. He arrested the man after a desperate struggle. Nearly £100,000 worth of American railway bonds were discovered in the bag. The body of the murdered watchman was found doubled up in one of the largest safes. It seems likely that Beddington managed to get locked into the building after the other clerks had gone and was disturbed by the watchman while rifling the safes. His brother, who usually works with him, had not yet appeared in this job, so far as can at present be ascertained, but the police are making energetic inquiries as to his whereabouts. Well, we can save the police some trouble in that direction. But, Mr. Holmes, why do you think this one wanted to go and string himself up? The prospect of another long spell behind bars, no doubt. And then again, who knows, it wouldn't be the first time that even a villain had chosen to die rather than face the shame of having his brother executed for murder. I see. However, these are not considerations for us. We have no choice as to our action. If you will have the kindness to step out for the police, Mr. Pycroft, Dr. Watson and I will remain on guard here until you return. In The Stockbroker's Clock, Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Desmond Carrington played Hall Pycroft, The Stockbroker's Clock. The story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was produced for the BBC by Martin C. Webster. One of the stories of Sherlock Holmes, written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. My name, my, my real name, is Norman Shelley. My friend, Carlton Hobbs, played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Michael Hardwick wrote the script for this BBC production from London. And need I say, I look forward to the pleasure of your company again, and soon, for more of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. There you have it, friends, the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Carlton Hobbs and Norman Shelley. Today's show was called The Stockbroker's Clerk, originally heard February 23rd, 1960. Hope you enjoyed the program. I am your humble host for these Sherlock Holmes excursions. Until next time on the Library of Sound, I am your humble host saying so long for now. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? <laughs>